Warning signs don't mean give up, turn around, and go home. They mean be alert, be vigilant, be prepared for danger, ignore at your peril. Failure to recognize and pay attention to these warning signs will likely mean failure. Welcome to the Journey to Impact podcast, where we show you how to turn your unique passion into a strategy to change the world. Today, we're talking about warning signs on your journey to impact. Whatever your unique impact focus, this is a difficult journey, and there are some things you absolutely want to look out for. Ed covers a number of obstacles that can inhibit or even wreck your efforts. I hope that by guarding against these pitfalls, you'll avoid unnecessary difficulties and regrets, and that you'll overall have greater impact. It's time to get off the bench. Let's do this. Here's your host, Ed Gillentine. Hello, this is Ed Gillentine. Thank you for joining me on this podcast in our series on the basics of impact, which are designed to go deeper into the ideas and principles in the book, Journey to Impact. We've been, over the last several podcasts, talking about signs of success among impact organizations and impact practitioners. And this podcast, we're going to make the jump to warning signs. That is, what are some warning signs that we can use as gauges, maybe, on a dashboard, to use an analogy with a car, that can give us a heads up about the direction of our impact? My family and I just recently returned from a trip through the Smoky Mountains over to North Carolina from our hometown in Memphis. And of course, when you go on a long trip like that, you always run into some caution signs. And most of them make sense, right? But there are others where you just wonder what the person who came up with that was thinking. Or in some cases, maybe they're really old and you just wonder what what was going on back then that made this a sign on Interstate 40. Of course, there's the usual speed limit signs and exit signs, but it's the caution signs to me that are a lot more interesting. You've got slippery when wet, Right? That makes a lot of sense when you're on a winding road in the mountains of East Tennessee or North Carolina. Or slow, 4% decline ahead, which I always thought as a child, that doesn't seem like much. But uh, when you're doing 70 miles an hour with a bunch of 18-wheelers all around you, all of a sudden 4% decline gets a little bit steep. Occasionally you'll see a sign that gives you pause, right? Like, beware of falling rock. Or bear crossing, hate to break down there. And one of my personal favorites, the runaway truck ramp. I've never seen personally a runaway truck, but it must be terrifying to behold. My point is that none of these signs indicate that you need to stop your journey or turn around and go back home. They're simply telling you to pay attention to some specific dangers that could be a hit. And if you ignore them, the likelihood of an accident will increase fairly significantly. So we've been talking about signs of success that are strong indicators of successful impact. Now we're going to look at some warning signs that simply say danger is ahead. All of us on this journey to impact are going to wrestle with most, if not all, of the warning signs in this chapter. And it's simply how we deal with them that's important. When I see the sign, beware of falling rock, I don't immediately slam on my brakes, right? I do, however, slow down a bit. My wife may say, maybe not that much. I put two hands on the steering wheel, and I'm a lot more alert to rock that might be lying in the road. On the journey to impact, there will be warning signs. 
And just like our family road trip, they don't mean that you need to stop. They don't need to mean that you need to go back home, but you need to slow down, be more aware, and take some measures to protect against them. The first one is the sign, the caution sign that says, know it all ahead, right? We've all met a person like that. Don't be a know-it-all. Nobody knows everything. It's just impossible. But sometimes after you've spent a lot of time planning and researching and looking into your chosen area of impact, it is kind of easy to fall into the trap of thinking that you know more than you do, um, and probably worse, that you know more than most other people on the subject. And you might realistically know more than most other people on the subject, but no single human being or even organization knows everything about a given subject. You can always learn from others. You may learn how not to do something, which in my experience is usually just as valuable as learning how to do something. So you may learn how not to do something. You might even simply have your theories or your strategies or your tactics confirmed. But it is really rare that you can't learn from someone else. One of the best measures to protect against you being a know-it-all or your team to being a know-it-all team is to constantly ask questions, especially from people on the front lines of your area of impact and especially, especially the people you're trying to help. They know far more than you're ever going to know about the issue, especially if you're in a larger organization or you're removed from the front lines. You have to make yourself never stop trying to understand all these nuances, and that can get tiring, especially in different cultures. Always revisit your assumptions. Constantly revisit your assumptions. I've learned that one of the signs that maybe I'm falling into the know-it-all trap is that I'll feel embarrassed when I ask a, quote, dumb question, right? And when I feel that way, I'm learning now, the older I am, that it's probably a good question to ask. The great coach of the UCLA Bruins that won all the national championships in a row, John Wooden, was quoted as saying, it's what you learn after you know it all that counts. And I think I would concur. Caution, know it all ahead. And then the next sign, meandering lanes ahead. What I mean by that is that we're all easily distractible. We all sort of have a tendency to follow the new thing or the cool thing or whatever people are talking about. But I want to encourage you not to stray from your description of impact. You may not know it all, but you've spent a lot of time and energy defining what it is for you, what your impact is. Sure, your tactics are going to change. Your strategy is going to change. Although, realistically, your strategy will change and should change much less frequently than your tactics. But your unique description of impact shouldn't change. It might experience some tweaks. It might experience some clarification, but it's who you are at your core. It's in your DNA, and it supersedes strategies and tactics. As a matter of fact, your unique description of impact is what's driving your strategies and tactics. So stay the course, your course. The next danger that I run into or next warning sign is people that like to reinvent the wheel. You've heard me say this before. It's something that is a big deal to me, but don't reinvent the wheel. It kind of ties in with being a know-it-all, right? It's rare that you have an idea that somebody else hadn't already thought about. So whenever it's possible, track those people down that are ahead of you and learn from them. I'm amazed at how many smart human beings there are in our world. They're smart, they're passionate people working on some of the world's greatest, most existential issues. The longer I'm on the journey, actually, 
the more convinced I am that I don't know that I've ever had an original idea, right? On the rare occasion that I think I do and I get all excited, right? I'll eventually read something or meet someone that's either already solved the problem or they're at least a lot further down the road than I am. The idea of reverse engineering is familiar to those of you who work in the sciences or manufacturing or the business world. And even if you have a patent for something, it eventually runs out and you know that your competitors have been working to build their own and probably better version of your idea of your product. So you better be working on the new improved product as soon as possible, right? And in the for-profit world, the idea of reverse engineering has driven a lot of progress, even though maybe the motives and ethics have been a little bit questionable in some cases. But in the impact universe, most people are more focused on making an impact than on making a lot of money, and so they're usually more open to sharing their ideas. So I would encourage you, when you find an idea or a widget or a strategy that looks like it might work in your sphere of impact, check it out. Ask some questions. Learn all about it. If possible, talk to the people that created it. Not only are you going to save countless hours rebuilding essentially the same thing, but you'll also likely add a tweak or an improvement here or there that'll make it more effective. If you think about all the big issues in our world, why in the world would we want to waste time reinventing a wheel somebody else has already built? Why not take that wheel and make it better? We talked in one of our previous podcasts about selflessness. It's always amazing to me. If you don't care who gets the credit, you'll be amazed at how much gets done. Another sign or warning sign is being driven by fear. Researchers tell us that most investment decisions are made out of the emotions of fear or greed. So when you're, quote, investing in impact, don't be driven by fear. Acknowledge that it's there, but don't be driven by it. And there's a lot of different ways fear can sneak into the equation. There's fear of failure. There's fear of getting it wrong. There's fear of hurting those you're trying to help. Fear of unintended consequences. I mean, the list is almost infinite. But fear is almost never a good place from which to make a decision. There's a time for caution, sure. There's a time for restraint. But fear is never a good master. Nelson Mandela said this, I learned that courage was not the absence of fear, but the triumph over it. The brave man is not he who does not feel afraid, but he who conquers that fear. And that quote's been a good reminder when fear has engulfed me, because it has. Once you've done the research and you've spent the time and energy nailing down your area of impact as well as your strategies and your tactics, get off the bench, trust your heart, and conquer your fears one step at a time. Another warning sign is when you're driven by urgency. Now, urgency can be a great motivator, but you can't allow yourself to be driven by the tyranny of the urgent. Most of the areas of impact that you and I are working in have needs so overwhelming that we're tempted to either move too quickly without considering all the things that we've thought about in this book or discussed, or we freeze and become paralyzed and don't do anything. I'll say this, executing a well-thought-out plan almost always leads to a better outcome than jumping in too quickly. That doesn't mean you don't move quickly in some cases, but quick actions, quick adjustments to your plan really should only come out of a deep knowledge of your situation and your area, your sector of impact. I know that the longer our impact strategies take, the more lives are going to miss out on the benefits. But I also know that building a strong and sustainable foundation for impact is going to impact a lot more lives over the long run. Another way that the tyranny of the urgent can manifest itself is in overwork. 
listen to me clearly. Working 15 hours a day, seven days a week for months and years on end will inevitably lead to burnout. And no matter how great the need or how important the cause, destroying your body, your emotions, your family, your relationships on the journey is going to defeat the purpose. Discouragement ahead is a warning sign that I've had to deal with a lot. On your journey to impact, you're, you're going to be discouraged. It's just, it's part of it. But don't let discouragement win. There's going to be a myriad of failures, frustrations, wrong turns, U-turns, even going to run into some dead ends. It might be bureaucratic insanity, one of my personal favorites. It could be an act of God, like weather-related issues that you can't control, geopolitical upheaval, cultural clashes. But don't let those discouraging things stop you. Keep pressing on. And one of the things that I stumbled into, and I'm sure I learned this from someone else, I just don't remember who, but one of the things I would encourage you to do is to keep a journal of the wins and losses. And keeping a record of those times when overwhelming difficulties were overcome is something that you can go back and read when you're in times of deep discouragement. And it helps you have just a glimpse, just a glimpse of the impact that you're having. And most of the time, all you need is a tiny little glimpse to encourage you to keep going. And it also gives you perspective, right? Typically, when we're discouraged, we lose perspective. I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to throw in the towel or give up. I I would say in the last 10 years, probably three or four times that have been really significant. Like I've actually talked with my wife or my partners about it. But years ago, after I had my first major battle with discouragement, I printed out a picture of Sosie, one of the children that our family helps. You've heard me talk about her before in previous podcasts. And I put that picture in a place where I know I'll see it when I get discouraged. And when the discouragement gets overwhelming, I'll take that picture out and I'll look at it. And I'm reminded that the stakes are too high to give up because I'm not trying to save millions. I'm not trying to turn entire economies around. I'm not trying to have impact on the masses. For me, I want to be able to help Sosi. And when I put a face and a name and a story to my project, that helps me power through the discouragement. Another caution sign, caution, rich expert ahead. Let me say this, don't ever confuse money with expertise or knowledge in a given impact area or sector. It's really always amazed me that rich people are given the status of experts simply because they are wealthy or sometimes even just because they're perceived as wealthy. I've seen this issue be a problem on at least two fronts. First, when wealthy donors or investors fund a project or an impact investment, it's real easy for them to expect a lot of attention. They're used to it. Uh, Most people will give it to them. And I've known people who fund an impact project or an investment, and then they magically become an expert on all things related to that project or investment overnight. I'm always amazed at how many wealthy art experts there are or wealthy opera experts, or wine experts, especially those that came into money quickly, right? And and you realize, well, last year when I talked to them, they didn't know even where Napa Valley is, and all of a sudden they're telling me about the different places on your tongue where you can taste different things about the wine, right? Let me say it clearly. Wealth does not equal expertise. Just because you're rich doesn't mean you know it all. Some wealthy people... I've noticed expect the leaders of an organization to drop everything when they call and do what they say, execute their ideas or their strategies. 
They suddenly feel like they know more about what's going on than the leadership and the staff on the front line. Don't be that person. Just because somebody made a lot of money in real estate, for example, doesn't mean that they understand real estate in a foreign country and a foreign culture. And it doesn't mean they're experts in the area of, say, at-risk children or the arts like we already talked about. I'm not saying that wealthy people can't or don't understand a wide variety of issues, but wealth alone does not equal expertise or knowledge. Every wealthy person I know has worked really hard to build and grow their wealth, and it's healthy for them and good for them to want to make sure that the impact organizations that they're funding work just as hard as they do. That's just a responsibility of all of us being good stewards, right? But as a wealthy person, if you've done a good job preparing for the journey to impact and you invest in an organization, think about it this way. If you've worked your way through the principles that we've been talking about, the principles in the book Journey to Impact, and you invest in an organization, get out of the way and let the people in that organization on the front lines do what they're good at doing. Let me also say that another way that I see this issue surface is from the perspective of the impact organization. It's very easy to be intimidated by wealth, especially if you don't have it or you hadn't been around it, and especially if a large part of your job is to ask wealthy people for donations, right? It's easy to get intimidated. And it's also really easy for wealthy people to be more assertive. Many of them are not, I would say, naturally assertive, but they've grown into that role because a lot of people around them expect it. However, you're the leader of an impact organization, and a huge part of your job is to protect the organization's vision and the mission. So be cautious as to how much credibility you're going to give to a large donor before you know their real credentials in your sector. You cannot allow your organization to be intimidated by the seemingly rich know-it-all. You need to push back. Many times when you push back, you're going to earn the respect of that person. And a lot of times it's going to bring relief to that wealthy donor and investor that they're not expected to take a leadership role. But on some occasions, you're going to need to walk away from a donation or an investment to protect the mission and the vision of your organization. And hear me say, that is okay. That's the hard part of leadership and it's okay to do. As we close this discussion on warning signs, I want to reiterate what we talked about at the beginning of the podcast. Warning signs don't mean give up, turn around, and go home. They mean be alert, be vigilant, be prepared for danger, ignore at your peril. Failure to recognize and pay attention to these warning signs will likely mean failure. And I'm going to wrap up this podcast with hopefully an encouraging word. If you don't hear anything else, hear this. Embrace the journey. Ralph Waldo Emerson is attributed with saying, life is a journey, not a destination. The journey to impact is going to be one of the most difficult journeys you will ever take, but it's also one of the most rewarding. Don't get so focused on the destination that you don't enjoy the journey. Yeah, it's hard. Absolutely. It's going to be discouraging, guaranteed. It will be challenging, but you're also going to have victories along the way. You will be personally changed on the journey. Most of us are not going to see a great majority of the impact that our lives are going to have. And at the risk of stating the obvious, the journey to impact is mostly the journey. So don't forget to stop and enjoy the beauty along the way. Next time, we're going to talk about relentless 
forward progress. And in the meantime, remember these three words, embrace, build, act. That is, embrace your unique vision of impact. Keep building your unique impact strategy and get off the bench. Get into the game because the world needs you. If you know someone that would be encouraged by today's podcast or would benefit from hearing these warning signs, please share it with them. You can learn more about Ed or his book, Journey to Impact, by visiting edgillentine.com. That's E-D-G-I-L-L-E-N-T-I-N-E.com. And you can find him on Instagram at edgillentine. Have a great week and remember to enjoy the journey.